Hello, welcome to the Unit 1 study cast for the South Valley Junior High 8th grade American History class. My name is Mr. Langhorst and we're going to be going through what you need to know to succeed on the Unit 1 test that's coming up. And uh, since this is our first study cast, I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit about how you might be able to use these as you prepare for the test. Um, I give every student, of course, a, a paper copy of the study guide. So you do have a sheet that you can have out in front of you while we talk about uh, the things here on the study cast. But I give you that piece of paper so that you know kind of in one quick overview what you need to know for the upcoming test. It's usually got terms and some people and some concepts on it. Um, so I would definitely go ahead and use that paper copy. But then I'm also going to talk tonight a little bit about what you need to know for the Unit 1 test going through the packet. And so I'm going to go through the packet um, basically like Section 1, then Section 2. And this is made mainly to be uh, kind of a, a review for you to listen to. Uh, the great thing, of course, is if you happen to get halfway through and you want to stop and you want to go do something else, uh, you can always pause it and come back. You can also listen to it as many times as you want. Um, we talked about in class how you can listen to this as uh, an MP3 file that you can get from iTunes. You can also download it uh, directly from the Internet, uh, or you can listen to it off the Internet. And if you don't have Internet access, I can also burn it to you on a CD. You just have to make sure you let me know a little bit in advance, like at least a day in advance, and I can burn you a copy on a CD. So let's get started. We're going to talk about uh, what you need to know for Unit 1. And uh, Unit 1 is entitled The Road to the Revolution. So we're going to be talking about the things that led up to the American Revolutionary War. And we're going to start with Unit 1, or I'm sorry, Section 1, that's called Taxes and Acts. And we kind of uh, set up a little bit of this unit by talking about the Proclamation Line of 1763. Now we talked about how the colonists were really upset with the king saying that the uh, the colonists could not settle on the western part of the uh, the country, basically anything past the Appalachian Mountains, because they had just fought the uh, French and Indian War. Uh, many had sacrificed their lives, they had given up time away from their families, and some people had actually already bought land west of the uh, Proclamation Line. So for the most part, the reaction by the colonists to the Proclamation Line was negative. And in fact, many colonists ignored this and actually moved across the Appalachian Mountains uh, anyway. Now, another thing that was happening that made the colonists really upset with the uh, Crown and with the King in, in London was the Quartering Act. The Quartering Act was uh, in 1765 and basically stated that colonists were required to give the British soldiers a place to stay and food to eat. Now, as we talked about, that doesn't mean they were like knocking on people's doors and actually staying in their own homes. But for example, when they were in Boston, the city of Boston was responsible for finding a place for them to stay and, and they had to pay for their food and things like that. So this was another thing that made the British soldiers staying in Boston very uh, uh, unwanted by the citizens of Boston. We also talked about the Stamp Act. The Stamp Act started in 1765. And basically the Stamp Act said that anything that was a legal document or really anything that was printed almost on paper had to have an official stamp showing that a tax had been paid. And so uh, anything like, even like playing cards or diplomas, contracts, newspapers, all of those things had to have a stamp on it. And one of the other things that really made the colonists upset was the fact that in many places it had to be paid in silver, which really wasn't that common in the colonies as far as a form of currency. So not only did they not like the Stamp Act, they also didn't like the fact that they actually had to go out and pay it in silver as well. Some other things in uh, Section 1 that you'll need to be aware of for the test 
we talked about how the colonists then decided to do uh, boycotting as one of the ways that they could actually get back at the English. And of course, a boycott is an official refusal to buy something in order to prove a point. So in this case, for example, on the Stamp Act, if they didn't buy anything that was a legal document that needed the Stamp Act, then England couldn't get any of the money anyway. So they boycotted a lot of the products that ended up being taxed. And one of the organizations that led these boycotts was the Sons of Liberty. The Sons of Liberty were a secret organization, uh, basically centered in Boston, and uh, the people came from all walks of life. We had farmers and blacksmiths and lawyers, but basically uh, what they did was they organized protest, and they also discussed various problems that the colonies were having with King George III. Another one of the acts, or taxes, that made the colonists very upset was the Townsend Acts. The Townsend Acts were a, a place to tax on a variety of things, uh, including things like glass, paper, lead, paint, and tea. And um, this, of course, was another one of those taxes that the colonists hated because they felt like it just really infringed upon them. They had no say in Parliament, and so this was just another thing kind of piling on top of them. Now, in order for the king to know if people were paying these taxes, he enacted something called the Writs of Assistance. And basically the Writs of Assistance says that the British soldiers could go into any house and check to see if there was any goods or material that maybe had not had a tax paid on them previous to that. So, you know, today, if somebody comes into your house and they're looking for things, maybe they thought you stole something or there was some reason to believe you had some illegal uh, material in your house, they need a search warrant. So the police have to go to a judge and say there's probable cause and explain why they should be able to go into your house. Um, back then, with the writs of assistance, they didn't need any of that. It was basically like open season on the colonists, uh, 24 hours a day. Now, one of the people that was involved with the uh, Sons of Liberty that we just mentioned that was very active in creating these boycotts and protests was Sam Adams. And we'll find out a little bit more about Sam Adams as we get into the American Revolutionary War unit. All right, so that's some of the things that you need to know from Section 1. We're now going to move into uh, Section 2 which dealt primarily with the Boston Massacre, and uh, we did the video project with that, so that should be something that you're very familiar with by this time. Um, we talked about the events of uh, March 5, 1770, when the Boston Massacre happened, and how there was uh, some conflicting reports about whose fault it really was, if it was the fault of the British soldiers that eventually fired into the crowd, or if it was actually the crowd themselves by taunting and pushing the soldiers and uh, basically egging them on to fight. So particular things about the uh, Boston Massacre, uh, we do know that Crispus Attucks was one of the uh, victims. He was an African American, also part Native American, and uh, he was one of the first ones killed at the Boston Massacre and became uh, relatively famous for that. We also talked about how there was a trial at the end of the Boston Massacre, and uh, this was a very important trial because even though many people in Boston wanted to see the soldiers tried for murder and found guilty of murder, they also wanted it to be a fair trial. Um, they wanted to basically demonstrate to the Crown that in the colonies, when they do stuff legally in court, um, everybody has a fair shot, which really didn't happen in many of the British courts. So John Adams steps up, and John Adams is basically the best lawyer in Boston at the time, and he says, I will defend the soldiers that fired on the mob in the Boston Massacre. And, um, of course, John Adams later becomes the second president of the United States, and uh, he'll become relatively famous uh, for some other things as well. But the trial was very important because they wanted to make sure that everybody realized that in the colonies you would get a fair trial. Okay, moving on to Section 3. 
Section 3 talked about the uh, Boston Tea Party primarily, and um, we also talked again about some of the ways that the colonists were able to communicate with each other and talk about some of the protests and various things that were happening in these small towns around Boston. And um, they created something called the Committees of Correspondence. And we saw an example of that when we watched the movie April Morning. And basically the Committees of Correspondence were secret organizations that met in different towns to exchange information with each other about things like the protests or how much ammunition they had or, or whether or not the British troops were, were moving from place to place. Um, so that was basically the main role of the Committees of Correspondence. Yeah, the Boston Tea Party itself happened on the evening of December 16th, 1773, and this was one of the uh, protests to the uh, tea tax, and um, there were 342 chests of tea destroyed, uh, but they were very careful to make sure that they didn't actually uh, injure anybody or damage anything. In fact, we talked about how they damaged a padlock and they actually replaced the padlock, so it wasn't so much about the destruction, it was more about proving a point about that particular tax. Now the king was not real happy, and he uh, implemented something called the Intolerable Acts on the colonies, which was basically a series of punishments. And there were four major parts of the punishment that the king gave the colonies after the Boston Tea Party. So the four various parts of the Intolerable Acts include, number one, closing down the port of Boston, which was really important because uh, then they couldn't get any trade in or out. So the harbor, or the port of Boston, was closed until all the damaged tea was paid for by the colonists. That's the first part. The second part, any meetings of the committees of correspondence were to be banned. They didn't want people meeting and, and sharing information. Number three, British officials accused of a crime in the colonies could have their trial back in England, basically making it much easier for them to get uh, a lesser punishment or actually uh, be found innocent. And number four, British troops are still to be allowed to be housed anywhere they wanted. So basically, the quartering act is just kind of being enforced there. Uh, to another degree. So the king was not real happy. The intolerable acts were uh, put down on the uh, colonies. And uh, one of the interesting things that happened as a result of the intolerable acts is the other colonies started to pitch in. So even though this was basically a Boston issue, the other colonies began to see themselves as partners uh, in this kind of like crusade against the English crown. And so other colonies started to send food, they sent uh, money, they did whatever they could to help. And um, this was very important to to kind of start the whole feeling of uh, unity between the various colonies. Alright, well, let's go ahead and move on to uh, section four. Uh, this one's entitled The Shot Heard Round the World. And we started by talking about what a militia is. And a militia is basically a force of armed civilians pledged to defend their community. We made some correlations with today and talked about that today we don't necessarily call it a militia, but you could consider the National Guard to be like the militia because they are civilians but they can go to war if need be. And we also talked about the term that sometimes the militia was referred to in the colonial time period as the Minutemen, um, because basically it took them very little time to get ready. In the movie we watched April morning, you could see how quickly they got uh, together and then they got organized and uh, basically went out the next morning and then fought against the British. Okay, while all this uh, turmoil is happening, uh, we do have kind of a, uh, a big meeting that's going to take place that actually is going to have a lot of historical significance and we call that the First Continental Congress and uh, just like it sounds they meet basically as a continental group so we've got people from the various colonies very important because again they're building unity against the crown and um, some of the things that they do at the First Continental Congress is they uh, vote to ban all trade with England 
basically again as kind of a boycott. And then they're also going to begin training troops in case of war. So there have not been any shots fired by the time that the first Continental Congress comes around, but they do decide that they're going to start training just in case something might start to happen. The focus of this section was about how the British went to uh, Lexington and Concord. Ultimately, they were trying to get to Concord. Lexington just kind of happened to be on the way. But they basically wanted to accomplish two things by marching a bunch of British troops from Boston into Concord. The two things they wanted to accomplish were, one, capture the ammunition that supposedly was stored by the Minutemen up in Concord, and then number two, arrest Sam Adams and John Hancock two of the instigators of the Sons of Liberty. So they figured if they could arrest them, they might be able to kind of stop some of the, the protests and things like the Tea Party and various things like that. Now the problem was when they got to Concord, uh, the colonists had already received word, so they moved all the ammunitions. They also let Sam uh, Adams and John Hancock know that the British were coming for them, and they basically fled and hid out somewhere else. So then, of course, they marched back to Boston. They're attacked on the way back to Boston and uh, lose quite a few men. Now, the whole thing that starts uh, the Revolutionary War are the shots that are fired in Lexington as they march to Concord. And uh, we're still unclear exactly who fired that first shot. We're not sure if it was a British soldier or uh, one of the colonists on the green. Um, but the most important thing is that that shot is fired. And then after that, basically, the American Revolution will begin to uh, unravel in front of everybody's eyes. There is a famous quote associated with this first shot fired in the war, and that is from Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he is the one that is given credit for uh, penning the term, the shot heard round the world, which of course if you listen to School Rock, uh, that's one of the uh, songs on School Rock where they talk about the first shot uh, fired in the war, and they call it the shot heard round the world. And uh, maybe we'll listen to that uh, in a couple days just to kind of um, get a laugh and kind of look at uh, School Rock a little bit. All right, we talked about the two major uh, sides that begin to develop once the war breaks out in the colonies, and that is the difference between the patriots and the loyalists. If you are a patriot, you're a colonial person that supports the war against the British. You're for independence. If you're a loyalist, you're a colonial person that supports the British in the war, and you support uh, the way that things currently are, and you want to maintain uh, being part of the crown. And then, of course, you did have a third option we talked about, and that third option was uh, not joining either side and just being neutral and basically just waiting to see how the war plays out. All right, well, that is Section 4. We're going to move on to uh, Section 5. Section 5 is called The Birth of an Army. And uh, we talked about one of the uh, earliest conflicts that happened was by Ethan Allen and a group called the Green Mountain Boys. Uh, Ethan Allen, along with the Green Mountain Boys and Benedict Arnold, actually go up to uh, upstate New York and they do a surprise attack on Fort Ticonderoga and uh, they take the fort without any bloodshed basically wake the commander of the fort up in the middle of the night and um, the most important thing about Fort Ticonderoga being taken over by the colonists is that they get artillery artillery includes cannons, large guns uh, basically the things that the colonists are not going to have because basically they have the things that they use for hunting they've got little rifles and things like that but they need their artillery to actually be able to go in battle against the British. So they get all this in Fort Ticonderoga. Now they need to get them down to Boston. And Henry Knox is the person that says, hey, you know, George Washington, I've got a way I can get these down. He uses sleds. It's the middle of the, uh, the wintertime. They have to go through trees and mountainous areas. Uh, but he does eventually get them down uh, into Boston. 
All right, we did mention the first Continental Congress just a little bit ago. Now we're going to talk about the second Continental Congress. And they did two very important things at the second Continental Congress. Those two things are, number one, they agreed to form the Continental Army. So they've kind of grown from just kind of getting people ready to actually creating an army for the uh, continent, uh, or basically what's eventually going to become uh, the United States. And they need somebody to lead these men, and so they give that position to George Washington, somebody that is not real shy about letting people know that he would like to command this force. And so they do give the command to George Washington, even though he had a very poor track record as far as the military goes in the French and Indian War. He was one of the few people that had any experience, and um, he had uh, quite a few leadership abilities uh, that were obvious, obvious to everybody. So they do give him command of the entire Continental Army. The first real battle that we talk about, because we don't really consider Lexington to be a battle, it's more of a skirmish, is the first battle of Bunker Hill. We talked about how that's actually uh, misnamed, because Bunker Hill is a different location. Um, this is actually fought on Breed's Hill. But the important thing about this battle is that the British soon find out that these colonists can actually fight a traditional type of war. Um, the British do win the battle uh, of uh, Bunker Hill but they take very high casualties and they realize that the American colonists are going to be much tougher than they ever would have imagined. So the war is actually going on. Um, you know, there's lots of uh, conflict, there's, there's battles happening, uh, but there is one last ditch attempt to actually try and solve these issues before the war expands. And that's called the Olive Branch Petition of 1775. Uh, some of the colonists signed this petition basically telling the king, hey, you know, we'd like to remain part of the crown, um, we just want, you know, a couple concessions made, you know, maybe put a couple people in Parliament that we can vote upon, um, things like that. And the king basically sees this petition, uh, laughs, and actually, in response, closes uh, several more of the harbors because uh, they're asking for uh, an attempt at peace. All right, another uh, big, big concept that we talked about in Section 5 was the pamphlet called Common Sense. And Common Sense was written by Thomas Paine. Uh, it sells over 100,000 copies in the first three months, which at that time period is just absolutely incredible. And um, the reason why this document is so important is that a lot of people are still trying to determine which side they're going to join uh, in this revolution. And Thomas Paine basically lays out um, very uh, eloquently a lot of reasons why, if you're a colonist, you should actually support the patriots instead of the loyalists. And so, you know, we don't know, obviously, like exact numbers, but we know that he probably swayed, you know, thousands and thousands of people to join the American Revolution instead of just, you know, kind of kicking back and saying, let's keep things the way that they are. So that is Section 5. We do have uh, one last section to go over, and that is the Declaration of Independence. And the Declaration of Independence, of course, was written by Thomas Jefferson. And uh, there's a couple reasons why they select Thomas Jefferson to actually write the final draft. Um, one of them is he's basically one of the best writers uh, of anybody that's actually at uh, the meeting where they do the uh, Declaration of Independence. And then a second reason is he's from Virginia. And that might seem like kind of a weird reason. Why would Tom Jefferson, being from Virginia, make any, uh, have any say in why he's the person that writes it? But it was very important to get the uh, backing of Virginia because at this time period, Virginia is like uh, the California of today in the United States. Lots of land, lots of powerful people, lots of money. And so if they're going to do this Declaration of Independence, they definitely want to make sure that Virginia is behind them. So by having a Virginian write the Declaration of Independence, that will win over a lot of people in that state um, by itself. 
And of course, we celebrate the uh, Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. All right. Well, that is the, uh, the major concepts that you're going to need to know for Unit 1. Uh, we got it in just about 20 minutes. So, uh, like I said, you know, the benefit is you can listen to this as many times as you want. Basically, if you know the information that I've just reviewed with you, you will be able to ace the Unit 1 test and start the, uh, the school year off with a great grade, bump your grade up quite a bit before the first parent-teacher conference, and um, just really kind of establish that you're going to work hard and you're going to get an A in this class. So if you have any questions, if you're looking at the study guide, if you're looking at your packet, um, and you still have a question about something, definitely stop by and talk to me before class. You can talk to me before school starts at the beginning of the day. You can talk to me at the end of school. Um, but go ahead and ask that question so I can answer it, so you know it, and then you'll get 100% on the test that's coming up. So uh, until next time, good luck on the Unit 1 test, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Bye.